Well, I think it's important for the community to be able to hear their own voice. And I also think it's that ephemeral history that so often is lost and wasn't necessarily, you know, intended to be preserved forever is so interesting for that very reason. It brings you back to this moment in time in a way that other things really can't. Audio cassette and VHS tape, they were cheaper and they were made with less quality materials so that they could be affordable. And so those are breaking down pretty quickly. And so it was important for us to A, help preserve these and then hope that that would spread the word and get people in the community more excited about preserving these things and understand the urgency of it. Welcome to Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today uh, we're digging into a topic that's near and dear to our hearts and we hope it's near and dear to your heart. And maybe after listening, it will become near and dear to your heart. And that is preservation of sound. And uh, this is a, a really fun conversation that we'll, we're talking to folks from KEXP, which is a great non-commercial radio station in Seattle. And someone from the Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound about an event they Meepop. did... Yes, Meepop, that to help people preserve their musical memories. And Jennifer, this is a topic that you really wanted to cover. Uh, wh- why did this pique your interest? Well, I'm, I'm very interested in radio history and archives. Um, I'm on the Radio Preservation Task Force, which is a project of the Library of Congress. And I ran across an article about this particular project, the pop-up music memory digitizations labs that was hosted at KEXP. And it just seemed like a really interesting, very kind of low key event open to the public. You know, often we're very daunted about preserving um, our media, media, you know, our photos and our digital files. And and we don't know where to start. And so I I thought it was really cool that they put together this very approachable event for the public, uh, you know, where they would have all sorts of expert archivists on hand to help guide you, you know, and in digitizing cassettes and film, et cetera. We're talking about musical memories that the people of the Puget Sound area would have um, in their in their homes, in their possession, tapes of of bands performing, un, often unknown bands, unsigned bands, or but uh, but maybe even also, well, anything that that people have that that if that they have the only copy in existence, and um, this humble way that you've described what what KEXP and Meepop put together, this pop up music memory digitization lab, I think is really appropriate because. The tapes themselves are very humble. We're not talking about some grand archive. It's really, it's really one cassette tape at a time. And so this this way that KEXP opened their doors to the public to allow them to bring in these materials, I think, is really fitting and, and a really wonderful model that uh, could be reproduced so that these these uh, magnetic memories uh, don't fade away because the clock is ticking on these Eric, cassette tapes. I really like the way you put it. It's one tape at a time. And, and that the way we tackle it, right, is not, is not looking at the mountain of tapes. It's really thinking, getting started. Even if it's someone bringing their one tape to the one event, 
yeah. little bit of history has been preserved. And I think it's something which somebody, almost anyone over the age of 25 or 30 can relate to because you, you probably have a tape, a videotape or an audio tape that you recorded or someone recorded for you that you might have held on to uh, or that's, you know, in, in your in your parents' house or is in a storage unit or or somewhere. And, and you think to yourself in the back of your head, gosh, I'd like to hear that again. I'd like to go through yeah. it again. And and the, what we've learned is that there are organizations that are starting to make this more possible. Um, and, of course, it's something that you can do on your own. And, and something that you'll, you'll hear much more about in this interview coming up in just a moment. And I also want to remind everyone that August 20th is National Radio Day here in the United States. It's a day to celebrate radio in all of its forms. It's a, it's a really grassroots effort where radio stations, listeners, uh, anyone who loves radio uh, just does something. You can do it on social media. You can do it in, uh, you can throw a party. You can uh, call up your favorite radio station and, and give them kudos. You can help out your favorite non-commercial radio station. And many radio stations around the country often celebrate national Radio Day, and I don't want anyone to lose that. We'll talk a little bit more after the interview, but I want to give them that preview. And now we'll jump into our interview about the Pop-Up Music Memory Digitization Lab. We're on the line with Dylan Flesh. He's from KEXP. He's the media asset librarian there. And we also have Libby Hopfoff, who is the audiovisual archivist and program manager for the Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound Thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I was super excited. That's a huge understatement to find out about the pop-up music memory digitization labs that recently happened at KEXP in Seattle. So we wanted to talk to both of you about this project, which just seems like an amazingly exciting opportunity for people to come in and um, get some help preserving some of their music memories. So Dylan, could you tell me how this event, well, tell me what it, what it yeah. was, first of all. Um, so the event was a music memory digitization lab set up for the public in Seattle to come in and digitize their music memories, focused mostly on home tapings. So you know, not bringing in an old vinyl or commercially released music as much as personal memories was much more our focus. And what was the what was the inspiration for holding an event like this? Um, so back in November, I attended the Radio Preservation Task Force in Washington, D.C. And while I was there, connected with um, John Vallier, who is the head of the ethnomusicology department at University of Washington, and someone I had met while getting my master's in library and information science at University of Washington. And after the event, we had you know, seen so many cool programs and cool services offered at different DC libraries and just from talking to different people at that conference. John emailed me saying, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had personal archiving day at KEXP? And I said, yes, I think that's a great idea. And so we got the ball rolling and it just continued to grow. So it started out with just uh, KEXP and University of Washington. And as we started talking about it, realizing 
there was a lot of demand uh, for what we were offering, we brought in additional partners. So yeah, I felt really fortunate to be able to work with not only UW, but Washington State University and of course, Meepops. I think Seattle and the Seattle area is lucky to have such cool organizations doing that type of work on a regular basis and just bringing them all together in one space was pretty neat. So Libby, you work at Meepops. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you were doing during the event at KEXP and what your role there was? Sure. Um, so we were really excited that uh, Dylan and John invited us to be a part of this because we usually work with much larger uh, organizations and don't often get to work with like private members of the public. So this was really exciting for us and we all love music. But uh, we contributed by bringing in some of our uh, recording equipment for video and uh, helped uh, people at different stations record their videotape and audio tape. Cool. And Libby, could you give us kind of an overview of what all was happening at, at the event at all the different stations? Yeah. So we had people, uh, we had people sign up ahead of time and uh, we sort of had uh, them divided up uh, among stations based on the format of the media that they brought in. So we had one station that was just doing VHS tape and then another station that was doing um, cassette tapes. And some of them could switch back and forth, but we would get the person um, set up and sort of show them or let them listen to what they had on their tape because a lot of the time they hadn't seen it or heard it in a long time. And then uh, we would start recording and ask them some questions about it while it was going. And yeah, it was it was really fun. It, the best part for me was to see how excited and happy people were to see and hear these things. Yeah. And these these things that you're referencing, that you guys are calling them music memories, am I right? And I, I really like that term, but it's very, um, it's a new set of words together. And what, what are music memories? What are we talking about? Um, I, it was all over the place. I think we had, you know, a fair number of people bringing in... Um, I was mainly on the audio cassette stations, mm -hmm. so people were bringing in high school bands that they were in and haven't listened to in a long time. From, Even had a, from the 70s, from the 80s? How old are these high school? From the 90s? Um, from the 80s and 90s. Um, we had, you know, a, uh, a gentleman bring his band, his cassette in, and had his whole family there taking turns you know, listening to dad's band uh, as we're playing it back, capturing that. The one, one of the videos that I thought was really cool, this one guy had been going to Africa for years and had a drumming teacher there. And so mm -hmm. there was this videotape of him uh, drumming at several different ceremonies. And that was really cool to see. And he still like collects drums and is in contact with the son of his drumming teacher. But it was great because he... Is uh, this was 20 years ago, and he was like almost tearing up seeing uh, this video of himself and all these people that he remembered very fondly, and the music was incredible too. Wow! And yeah, Libby, it's really interesting that that people were bringing in materials from all over the world. When I when I read about the event, I think my expectation was that there would be a Seattle or Pacific Northwest focus. And, and did you guys have that feeling ahead of time that you might be 
hearing a lot of regional music memories or what were your expectations? Maybe Dylan, you could tell me what your expectations were. I was hopeful that we would get, uh, you know, a fair amount of music that was made in or performed in the Northwest. And we did. We had, you know, like I mentioned, some early, you know, high school band recordings from members of the community. We had people bringing in recordings of sort of bootleg recordings of live performances. And another thing that I thought was really neat was someone brought in a umatic tape and Libby could probably speak more to that format. Um, I'm less familiar with it, but a tape of a commercial made for a Bay Area band called the Toiling Midgets. Oh, yeah. Who, at least one of their members, has some roots in the Seattle area as well. So that was kind of a neat item for both its format and the content. Yeah, Libby, can you tell us about that format? Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. So uh, Umatic um, is a cassette tape. It's probably about almost twice as thick as uh, your average uh, VHS tape that we all like had when we were younger. Um, It's a three quarter inch magnetic media tape and it was used primarily from the late 70s to early 80s. And uh, it it was very temperamental and it's still one of the hardest formats uh, to make. look good, I guess you would say, when you're capturing it, um, just because it is susceptible to a lot of uh, damage and uh, other outside factors that all videotape is susceptible to, but they don't usually show as many, like, signs as Umatic does. But it also, like, if it's in good shape, can be really good looking. And it also is used uh, for broadcast, so it tends to be a higher quality um, recording. So everything that got digitized then... Where does that digital copy end up? Did you, you send a home a copy with the folks who brought in this analog media? Does did KEXP retain a copy? Does Meepops retain a copy? What what happens to this digitized material? The main focus was giving it back to the community member on a thumb drive. So making sure that they have a digital copy of it was the main focus. We also invited attendees to um, share those files with KEXP mm-hmm. or any of the partners as well if they were interested. And did many people do so? I think from the, we had about 50 people come through and about half of them agreed to do that. Yeah. And then you retained a copy of those ones, right, Dylan? I did. Yeah. And I know that, um, Ahead of time, you were hoping that some people might bring in some recordings of radio, um, you know, including the past of KEXP, which was college radio station KCMU. So did anybody end up taking the bait on that? Did anyone bring in (laughs) radio air checks from KCMU? Um, You know what? I did get one on a CD, um, and it was actually from a coworker of mine who just had it in their desk, um, (laughs) (laughs) which was, it was interesting. You know, it was, we talked about it because of this event um, and they've had it sitting there for a while, but it was a 1982 recording of our local music show, Audio Oasis, which is really neat to have. And then we, I did get in contact with a number of people who saw the event on Facebook. Uh, There's a Facebook group for, former 
KCMU DJs. Um, and someone posted an article about this event there. So people expressed some interest, but nobody actually, or not many people signed up. I think we had one person um, from that group actually show up. But I do have, I have been getting in touch with people from that to hopefully um, work with them. A lot of them aren't necessarily in the Seattle area. Um, and some of them just couldn't make it down that day. So I, uh, I think we will end up, hopefully, uh, unearthing some KCMU broadcast from that. And is that uh, is that part of your mandate at KEXP um, to archive the history of the station? It's one of my goals there. Um, it's not a primary focus of my role, but it's definitely something that I care a lot about and put time towards it whenever I can. That's the voice of Dylan Flesh, KEXP's media asset librarian. And we're also on the line with Libby Hopfaff, audiovisual archivist and program manager at MePop, Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound. And we're talking on Radio Survivor today about uh, their unique archiving project that they engaged in to, uh, to invite members of the community up there uh, in KEXP's listening area in Seattle, Washington, uh, to bring in their music memories so that they could be digitized and and shared. So I'm curious, Libby, have you ever done a pop-up event, you know, similar to this before? Um, I, not as part of uh, MEPOP, but when I was working um, at the University of Washington uh, in the special collections working with film, I participated in two home movie days, and, uh, part, and that's in October and part of that is members of the public can come in to, we hosted both of them at the Northwest Film Forum on Capitol Hill. And people came in and would bring their uh, 8mm, 16mm, and uh, VHS um, tapes. And we would, uh, for each person, it was similar to this event. We had a limit for how much they could digitize. And then um, we took some of them into uh, one of the theaters and played it on a projector, which was really fun. Oh, wow. Um, but nothing ever on this scale before. Like, that was, the, most of those events were much smaller. Oh, really? I mean, because I know, I've heard of Home Movie Day before. I think it's been going on for well over a decade, I think, in places all over the country. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm a little surprised to learn that, that this uh, Music Memories was bigger than your Home Movie Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are other Home Movie events that, ha- that happened in Seattle around those times. But I think just because uh, I don't think we advertise it nearly as well as uh, the power of radio, yeah, power the power of, of KPXP. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're uh, hoping to do one this year in October, and I'm determined to make it a little bit more um, known. I so I like I really like the idea of these you know pop up events where you invite the public in and. Um, I was reading about something called a Scannabago, which I would love to hear more about that and how things like Scannabagos fit in. Scan-a-bago? <laughs> yeah. I can talk about that a little bit. Dylan, tell like. us what Scannabago means. Um, I learned about Scannabagos at the Digital Public Library of America's like first West Coast meeting. And a person there, I think, I'm not sure if she was director at the time or content director of the DPLA, but she came up with the idea of Scannabagos, which are 
basically gutted Winnebago RVs uh. that would be equipped with equipment to scan or digitize special collections materials. And the idea was these, you know, a fleet of these Scanabagos would road trip cross country and digitize collections for cultural organizations that had requested it. I get it. And so we're talking about, I mean, Dylan Flesh and Libby Hopfaff, you guys, you worked on this project to, to digitize all this material, these musical memories. You, you've got songs and performances, concerts, a few air checks from the radio. Um, now you have a pile of tape or you know, there, <laughs> a, I, pile I just, of, a pile of bits. Yes, yeah, I just dated myself, right? But that's, I mean, <laughs> what you have is um, a, just a gigantic amount of stuff. Now what do you do with it? I mean, you have all this audio. It's sitting on computer hard drives somewhere. How, how do you... What's the next step? What do you do with it next? Um, well, for KEXP, um, I'll be sharing this with our programming team uh, who are, I would say, experts at uh, curating materials, mm -hmm. and I think we'll be able to pull out um, some gems from it. And I'm you know, pushing for there to be a feature from the materials we, we gathered at this event, but the word's still out on on when or whether that will happen. So you're hoping to have maybe um, a program over the airwaves where you're featuring materials from the event. Is that the plan or the the dream? Yeah, that would be, uh, I would love that. And it makes um, a lot of sense too to have, I love that idea of the next step being uh, discerning ears sift through it. You get a team together to listen <laughs> to things and to find things that pop out to them. And why would that be important? Let me. I'm going to beg that question. You know, because you, you know, these are to some people, a lot of this stuff is is less than ephemeral, right? These are just tapes that that someone had in their house, uh, and and might have recorded. Why why is this of interest? Why why would um, KEXP be interested? Why would Meepots be interested? Um, and and then why would it merit yeah. even consideration Un, for being unsigned on the airs? unsigned bands from the eighties high school bands yeah, garage why, bands why can't they just disappear into history and, and so maybe Dylan <laughs> maybe you can tell me why why KEXP is interested why is this of interest to a, a radio station well I think it's for one thing important for the community to be able to hear their own voice and I also think it's you know that ephemeral history that so often is lost and wasn't necessarily, you know, intended to be preserved forever is so interesting for that very reason. It brings you back to this moment in time in a way that other things really can't. So I think, you know, it's really cool for that reason. Yeah. An unpackaged, un, un, uh, the, the high school band did not have a, a street team of marketing professionals you know designing their sound for them mm -hmm. these, this, these were these were youth interpreting the sounds of the day in, in extremely um honest ways right yeah and libby hopfoff why is this yeah. important to the moving image preservation of puget sound why why did your organization want to be involved uh with this project of getting all of this uh these musical memories well kind of leaping off of what Dylan just said, like, the reason why um, Home Movie Day uh, is so important to us is, uh, is the same thing. It's kind of like a, 
real people doing real things. And it's like a part of history that was undocumented. And often stuff like that isn't even like those people or the places weren't necessarily uh, documented like in a, in a professional sense. And so these are some of the only memories of those places and those time and people being themselves. Um, and that's really important to us. And also it was really important to us uh, to be able to be part of the community and sort of get the word out. Um, Cause part of our mission is to spread the word about the magnetic media crisis, which includes audio and videotape and it's uh, degre- degradation and how that sort of, um, like there's a time limit on that. So uh, I think it was about 10 years ago, the um, Association of Moving Image Archivists uh, uh, decided that based on all their research, magnetic media was going to break down within 30 years of when it was created. So like when the tape came out of the factory and that for some of those tapes, like they're pushing 40 mm-hmm. years. Um, and then a lot of the... Um, more affordable formats like audio cassette and VHS tape, those weren't they were, they were cheaper and they were made in um, with less quality materials so that they could be affordable. And so those are breaking down uh, pretty quickly. And so it was important for us to a help preserve these and then sort of hope that that would spread the word and get uh, people in the community more. Um, excited about preserving these things and understand the urgency of it. So, so Libby, if I understand correctly, you're telling us that if we have shoe boxes um, full of cassette tapes or VHS tapes or beta tapes in our closets, they are, they are actually sort of degrading, even though we're not playing them, even though we're not doing anything with them, just simply existing in the world right now, they're, they're slowly <laughs> fading away from us. Is that what you mean to say? Yeah, yeah. The um, the magnetic um, material of the tape is breaking down. It's like oxidizing, and it's just exposure to the atmosphere. Right. So this is very uh, yeah. This is very personal. So what's what's the best way to store these tapes then? Yeah. What do we do? I guess yes. Um. Well, the, it, depending on the format, but for all your tapes, they should be in their cases, and they should be upright. And they should be in a, a climate-controlled, cool space, not like an attic or a basement. Um, it shouldn't be anywhere damp or hot. Um, there are lots of other things you could do, but I guess they're probably too. <laughs> it's a good start. Uh, and but, should we try um, to play that's, them? That's I mean, a really good start. Should we try to um, play them? Because, I mean, so what I'm hearing is that, you know, I could go back. If, if I say, okay, I'm going to do this in someday, but don't try to even go back to these tapes for five or ten years they might be unplayable or nearly unplayable. Should I be trying to, to play them now and to try and digitize them now? You, you sh- uh, if you're going to, if you're able to digitize them, I would try to do that now. Um, but because sometimes with some of the uh, cassette tape and um, uh, video cassette tape, they, uh, you only get one, one try. Right, because the tape might break on you or might shed some of its uh, coating as you play it that last time. Yeah, that's wow. correct. And if it does break, because I've had this happen with some precious cassette tapes, is there any hope if your cassette tape breaks? Tape it back together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there, uh, there is uh, archival uh, tape for, <laughs> for tape. 
Um, and depending on how it was broken, there are other repairs you can do. Um, but some, sometimes it's beyond repair. It, it totally depends on the circumstances and like the level of damage. Well, all of these complexities are, you know, underline why the event that you, Libby Hopfaff of Meepop, the moving image preservation of Puget Sound, and Dylan Flesh of KEXP, the event that you put together inviting members of the public to show up for free to have their materials archived uh, by experts. It underlines the, the value of what you um, what you gave away in uh, for, for community benefit in order to in order to, uh, um, you know, strengthen community media and culture. And so, I, again, I, I, hope, I hope someone has given you a round of applause and a pat on the back for the work that you did. But we here on Radio Survivor uh, want to thank you for, for putting in the effort because it's super, it's super cool to us. Well, Libby, you mentioned sort of the connection to the Home Movie Day, which, as we talked for a moment, has been going on for, for at least a decade or so. And, and it's sort of an independent event, right, to different organizations sponsored around the country. Do you think there's a hope for a musical memory event that this could become a bigger thing that spreads around the country? Um, I yes, I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we would like to do this again. Yeah, uh, and it would be great if it could uh, become much bigger than uh, like expand beyond Seattle to different groups. I hadn't thought of it that way, but now I'm determined to make that happen. That's awesome. Yes. And what, what advice would you give away for free today on Radio Survivor to people who might be trying to put together such an event? I would say I think the best thing I did was just partnering with other organizations in the area uh, with the skills and expertise and equipment and you know, just bringing together people in whatever area you're in that you might not think of a partnership between at first but for this type of thing it actually works perfect it was so great to partner with you know these other libraries and organizations and really fun just to you know work together on this um and i think that radio community radio and college radio and public radio has so much uh you know potential for collaborations with other with libraries specifically um and orgs like me pops that are doing important preservation work partner up and you know see what you can do together yeah, and so i'd imagine since you're saying that that you would highly recommend that other organizations put on events like this dylan like you had a very positive experience absolutely yeah i would say this was a great success for kexp it felt really rewarding to be able to help people listen to and watch their memories, you know, for the first time in a long time and, and kind of set them up to be able to continue doing that uh, was great. So we're definitely talking about making this a, at least an annual event, hopefully. Um, and even talking about setting up just a cassette transfer station that might be there all of the time for former DJs and volunteers of the station. And who knows, maybe even having that out in our public gathering space as well. That's a great idea because I think a lot of stations struggle with how to even start these projects of digitizing materials. So, you know, to have a permanent station like that is a great idea. Yeah, and the tricky part would just be, you know, having someone to 
kind of staff it yep. and, and help people out with it. But I think, um, you know, I think it could be something that worked out well at a lot of small community stations um, or libraries as well. There's a, a great network of public libraries setting up similar stations. That's great. Um, that, you know, are intended to be a permanent addition to their libraries. They'll be staffed and they'll have, you know, training materials. It's the um, Memory Lab Network, uh, which is based on DC Public Library um, and the labs that they set up. They're kind of taking that model and uh, bringing it to other public libraries around the country, which was part of the inspiration for this. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about this uh, memory lab project that, that uh, public libraries are helping people with. And, and I wonder about your take on this. I think why a lot of organizations don't get started with these digitization and preservation projects often, right, is sort of how Jennifer alluded to, is that it looks daunting. How do you climb such a huge mountain right. with, it's hard enough to keep the lights on today. Yeah, and so to, to go upon this, and, and it seems like this memory lab project or the the the, the musical memory pop-up that, that you engaged in kind of cuts out a lot of that mountain by sort of simply saying, look, just just let's get started. Right. Let's yeah. just get started with digitizing yeah. this. If you are listening to the sound of my voice and you know of a cassette tape nearby right. in your home, we would like you to bring it in. And and then it's it's <laughs> sort of like just get started. But with I think the the challenge perhaps for especially for folks who are professional archivists like both of you uh, is that you know it's it's a little more disorganized. And I think you know there's always this sort of sense in, in, right. in these projects you want it to be organized because you want to have you want to know who created it. You know have that <laughs> metadata as it's known. And, and dates and things like this, whereas a lot of this may be a little more vague. Uh, I mean, can you help me sort of suss out uh, whether or not it's worth doing this? I mean, obviously you did this particular project, but would you encourage an organization to say, hey, better to just have at it and digitize and sort of worry about some of these other concerns later? Is that better because this media is kind of a time bomb or is it better to be more organized? Uh, maybe Libby Hopfoff, you, you could take uh, that on since you work with a moving image preservation project. Uh, sure. Yeah, so um, in, in general, the moving image uh, community um, has been trying to encourage more uh, community archiving events um, like the Memory Lab. And just uh, to get different um, archivists in different regions to get together and like scan photos or um, all help together to process a collection or different things like that. And for things that involve the public, it seems like the like that's one of the first things they say that they like learned from their experience is that you just kind of have to let some of that go okay. because the um like raising awareness and getting these people at least some digital version of what they yeah. brought in is more important than being uh very meticulous about the dates and the names and the places and that some of that can also be done later once you have those and um also just sort of um yeah basically like uh, access over like uh, best practices mm -hmm. for like specific preservation items. That's not to say that like we don't adhere to best practices and that 
other groups don't when they do stuff like this, but it's just sort of trying to be realistic about what we can actually do in this time and acknowledging that it's better to get uh, something out of it instead of like nothing. That's the voice of Libby Hopfaff, audiovisual archivist and program manager at Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound, MePop. We're on the line with Libby as well as Dylan Flesh of KEXP, media asset librarian there at radio station KEXP. And they engaged in this amazing project that we here at Radio Survivor are very excited about where they invited members of the community uh, to bring in their musical memories, their cassette tapes, their di- their videotapes of, of the music of the recent past in order to, for these things to be archived. Yeah. And, and Libby, that, that sort of, uh, you're, you're sort of trying to find a happy medium and it makes a lot of sense to me between making sure these assets that may be degrading as we speak, get digitized, um, as a priority to just do it, but also, you know, sure. You will do best practices the best that we can and, and, and it will sort of implement as we can, you know, it reminds me, we had a conversation a number of months ago with, um, Chuck Reinch, who is yeah. in charge of his own project called the Crab Archives. KRAB mm. was a community radio station there in, oh, in yeah. Seattle. Yeah. And and we, when we talked to him, I mean, we, we had sort of a similar conversation. And he basically said, no, I just started doing it. Yeah. It needed to be done. Me. It's and such, I started such... to do it. And he felt like it would it was too much of a hurdle to try and, 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 and draw too much of a map. And that instead he would just ask people to share what they could that they had both you know these are both uh, visual and print as well as audio archives yeah and you know and do the best that that he he can and he's archiving it online where people can get it so you know and and i think that i can say for myself i'm very grateful that he's doing so because it's sort of at this moment a hard to parallel kind of archive of community radio from uh, the 70s and 80s yeah this this um, this really one of a kind radio station in seattle at a at a one of a kind time and place you know mm-hmm. if if chuck w- would allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good uh, some of these interviews would never see the light of day even if we don't know necessarily what who 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 even recorded the interview? You know, or or even who's on the tape speaking? It's still uh, better that these things aren't aren't lost in the garbage. Uh, Dylan Flesh, you're the KEXP Media Asset Librarian. I heard you sort of um humming. You're you're sort of uh, saying yes along with. Oh yeah. That. Why? 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 I, uh, I'm a fan of uh, everything Chuck's doing over there. The KRAB archives online are awesome, and I also think it's it is important to just you know start uh, small. And, uh, you know, he's been doing that for a long time and it's an amazing collection now. I can't remember the name of the, um, the person, I believe that was a station started by, uh, someone. Well, Lorenzo the, Malam. The, yeah. Uh, yes, the, the, the Johnny the Appleseed. John, Johnny Appleseed of community radio. <laughs> we, yes. we here on Ray Survivor, we keep giving lots of different people Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's working together to Johnny Appleseed Malam this stuff. Is, is somebody who has been yeah. long uh, recognized, the author of Sex and Broadcasting, and the uh, someone who helped to found the Crab Nebula of stations throughout the sure. Pacific Northwest. Right, right. We, you know, Johnny Appleseed is a myth, right? And and individual individual Johnnies never work alone. There's always, oh, yes. there's <laughs> always a community of people supporting their 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 Johnny Johnniness. I'm also thinking as we're talking about the access, you know, versus, you know, being meticulous. I'm thinking about the educational component of this event that you held at KEXP. And um, I read through the zine that you handed out, which is a very brief, 
you know, succinct zine that has, you know, some very, um, some tips for people on preservation, but it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not as, it's not something maybe an archivist would give to their staff about <laughs> how to document something. So Dylan, exactly. could, could you maybe explain like uh, what the zine is, who did it and, and what the sure. tips, what tips are in it? Yeah, so the zine um, was published by the DC Punk Archive and uh, DC Public Library's Memory Labs. Um, it's called Maximum Preservation 2 Electronic Boogaloo, mm. uh, which is kind of hilarious. And uh, it's great because it's it's not focused, uh, you know, it's not written for a professional librarian or archivist or even really people working in those fields it's for um anyone it's for you know someone with their home tapings yeah or in general just uh digital files so it's um it's really broad simple advice things like using a list to keep track of where you're saving you know different files um using some sort of consistent uh and descriptive file names um, and having, uh, items saved in multiple locations. Um, and then just in general, you know, checking in on them or using them every now and then. So it's, it's really simple advice that doesn't feel, uh, overwhelming, you know, feels like something, oh yeah, I could do that. It could be a project that I work on on the weekends to like name my photos or just make sure I've got them in two places. That's yeah, that's advice. nice. And well, and all that reminds me, Dylan, uh, Dylan Flesh of KEXP. If I wanted to, uh, if I wanted to read that zine, is it accessible on a website somewhere? It is. Yeah, that's, that's up on. If if you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. It's um, we'll have free online. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. we'll have a link to that in our show notes. RadioSurvivor.com/slash/podcast. Follow up question, Dylan Flesh of KEXP. Mm-hmm. What I want to hear some of these musical memories or. Uh, alternate question I have a musical memory that I th- wish I had shared with you because it's a Puget Sound based or uh, you know Seattle area region musical memory how do I submit it today or how do I listen to stuff today uh, great question I uh, we haven't published anything from this so it can be a little bit tricky um, with uh, music recordings uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that we're not um, yeah you know, that we're licensing anything that needs to be licensed um, and not sharing things that... Uh, that you don't have permission someone... to share. Yeah, that you don't have right, the copyright exactly. for. Um, so while we did ask people to, you know, grant us permission to share these things um, and we could right. broadcast them, we're already, you know, kind of set up to pay royalties from that right. side of things. Publishing them online is a little bit... Trickier, fair um, enough. Say no more. It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. We've so, we've covered that kind of complicated story on Radio Survivor before. But how about submitting our own materials? Um, I yeah, I'm, I would be happy to uh, <laughs> field submissions. Um, and uh, there's not like an official channel through KEXP for that. Um, you know, obviously we have music submissions that people are sending in. Uh, their bands to our music directors and DJs, but for this type of uh, 
you know, music memory focused material, if it's something you already have digitally, of course, that could be shared easily online. Or if it's something that, um, you know, is would have a would be a good fit for KEXP, we could talk about having that sent. I'm definitely cool. uh, interested, especially in KCMU broadcast archive materials and, you know, anyone that has air checks at home, you know, sitting in a box, we're happy to kind of work with you on, on getting those digitized and uh, adding them to the KEXP broadcast archive. Neat. Yeah. Cause KCMU, as we were mentioning earlier today on Radio Survivor was the college radio station, the, the predecessor to KEXP there in Seattle, Washington and any air checks that you have of that, uh, of that historic college radio station would be would be very valuable at this time. And I guess uh, it's it's uh, appropriate now to plug archive.org, a free resource for the community where where anybody listening who thinks they have something that someday might be important to some sort of historical <laughs> record, you can upload things to archive.org and and leave them there. Uh, for for chance, you know, future posterity. There's there's a, there's the possibility that no one will ever listen, and there's the possibility that the tape that you upload there um, will become important someday. And I guess it's not for us to decide, right? It's for people of the future to decide what was important. So you just got to get it up there. I, I can't imagine. It's listening to this conversation today here on Radio Survivor. It, it really strikes me that we're in a unique historical moment where this cheap magnetic analog recording technologies were were one of a it's just this one of a kind moment especially in the 80s and 90s where this stuff was around it was so accessible it was in so many young people's hands as well as just uh, regular folk that there's all this stuff that got recorded and now here we are and uh it's time for this stuff to get digitized or else we're we're in we're in a we're in a do or die moment for those weird memories from the eighties and nineties. And so I really, I really love that we're getting the word out that it's time to digitize that stuff. Absolutely. It was really funny. I actually, we had someone bring in CDs of their band yeah, as well. Um, and said they don't have a CD player. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, no, for them. Not yet. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm These, not ready for that yet. They, you know, if you're if you the if you spend the most money that you can spend on a laptop computer, uh, chances are those lap those fancy laptop computers from the Apple Corporation will not have a CD drive on them. I just had to remind my brother, who's who is you know uh, a a child of the '80s, uh, that his DVD player was also a CD player. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> just in case, that's great. You know, and I think people sometimes forget that uh, the thing that plays the discs will probably play the disc you have, uh, but you may forget about that. Uh, Jennifer, do you have any final questions here? Um, well, I was curious um, how this was funded uh, because. It's pretty amazing that everybody was given a thumb drive for all of their memories. So, you know, is this the kind of thing that other radio stations can take on? And it seems like it was a project that required some support. Although I want to I want to add in there to Jennifer's question that thumb drives might cost money. But uh, I'm more interested in how people got paid to work, too. Right. Because the archivists and the and the engineers that do the work to fill the thumb drives also also need to uh, take home some money at the end of the day. So yeah, how did they get paid? Well, I can only really speak for myself, but this was, uh, you know, incorporated into my job as uh, 
part of what I do. So that was how I got paid. Um, and for the thumb drives, the partner organizations all pitched in to buy those together. That's really cool. I mean, it it's, it really speaks to uh, the collaborative nature of the whole event. And can Dylan, can you remind us again all of the groups who were involved with this event? Yeah, the University of Washington um, Ethnomusicology Archives and Washington State University, Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound, or MEPOPS, and KEXP. And also Seattle Public Library helped run the event and keep registrations going, which was super helpful, um, you know, having 50 people come through with varying uh, formats of tape, different formats. Uh, There's a lot of logistics, and they helped handle that. That's really great. Along with we didn't, K- mm-hmm. along with KEXP, Dylan Flesh of KEXP, we didn't mention where where was this lo- where was the physical location of this event? Where did you guys do this stuff? So we had this event at KEXP's gathering space. Yeah, um, which is uh, a large space open to the public. We have a coffee shop, a record store, um, and the transfer stations were actually set up on a stage. Uh, That's great. Which I thought was great. I don't think it's often enough that archivists and librarians are put on the stage. <laughs> they probably yeah. made it. Uh, I, I, just I love, love that. Fact, I love a community radio station that has a public uh, space, you know, kind of away from the offices and 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 studios, just where, a place where the public can gather and be noisy and and uh, and interact with with people at the station. It's a, it's always a great uh, feature of any community organization to have such a thing. Dylan Flesh of KEXP, media asset librarian, and Libby Hopfaff, audiovisual archivist and program manager at Moving Image Preservation of Puget Sound, MEPOP. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor to talk about the the pop-up music memory digitization labs that you guys put on. Uh, we, we really appreciate you sharing your uh, lessons learned. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, what a great interview again here on Radio Survivor on on the importance of preserving the history of this medium that we care so much about, you know, community media. And in this case, the community media is like high school bands. Sure. High school bands from the 80s and the some some college bands. I'm making up these tapes because we haven't had the opportunity to hear them because they're held privately right now. But just the notion. I mean, I have recordings of high school bands, college bands that I know um, are valuable to me. And I appreciate that KEXP and Mepop, uh, you know, put in the effort to tell other people that those recordings are valuable as well. Because, you know, that's, that's one of the, I think, one of our missions here on Radio Survivor is to underline the value of these um, under-recognized recordings uh, and, and that they need to be shared and preserved uh, before another decade goes by and the possibility of these tapes these archives uh, disappearing or deteriorating. Uh, yeah, I like how continues. they talked about sort of the everyday artifacts, you know, like the the tapes that you've recorded from the radio, which, you know, people are very interested. Uh, I was mentioning some tapes I had recorded in the 1980s from a well-loved San Francisco radio station, and, and a friend of mine said, have you digitized that? You know, you really need to get that digitized. Right. So people want to hear you know, even radio air checks from days gone by from, you know, long gone beloved stations. It's so funny because the day that you record that tape, that tape is meaningless. 
but something about it, well, I don't know if it's meaningless. Yes, yeah, so well, it's not. It's not meaningless to Jennifer Waits, young Jennifer Waits in the '80s, who's recording the tape. It's very valuable. But you know, that's just what the radio sounded like yesterday. And I can turn on the radio today and hear it. But when a few decades goes by, the idea of hearing the air checks, hearing the commercials, if you did include them, or at least just hearing how the songs were mixed together on that day, you know, even if you can hear all those songs. Uh, it's like streamed. the hip-hop radio archive that it's we like, talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, link in the show notes to the hip-hop radio archive where, yes, we can stream all these songs individually. And if you read a list of how of how your favorite hip-hop radio show from the 90s played each song in order, you could reproduce that show. But actually hearing the DJs uh, in, introduce the records and, and listening to the archive of how it's mixed and hearing it all in context... Um, there's value to that, and we here at Radio Survivor want to make sure that that the that that, that value is um, is recognized in the wider context. Well, and it's a fallacy to think that everything is available to us at our fingertips at this moment. Oh in time. yeah, it's e- not. Even if it even if it was a commercial release, does not mean that it's necessarily instantly available on Spotify or Pandora right yeah. now or YouTube. That well, and things fall out of print, and sometimes people had unique copies, and and all sorts of things happen. Um, at a radio station in particular, uh, that are really one-off and ephemeral, and if not captured on tape, will are, are gone forever. And and if I may, since we were talking about moving images in this interview too, um, I think back to videotapes that I recorded of television shows, and and the shows in the form that they were in when I recorded them, I can't access those anymore in many cases because of music rights. That's so. Right. Yeah. I I remember watching certain television shows that had really interestingly curated soundtracks that fit with the action. And if I go and look at a DVD of that same show today, it has completely different music. Um, Yeah. So I I also cherish those videotapes that allow me to look at what television was like back in the 80s. There's a third wrinkle to that. And it's not just music licensing, but sometimes footage is being licensed in a way in which you would think that, oh, that documentary from 30 years ago, I could just get it on a, I can stream it today. But sometimes clips that are used in a documentary are licensed by, the licensing for the the, the historical clips themselves are also subject to change. Mm-hmm. And so so a, so a VHS tape from the 80s or 90s, um, the, the value compounds, uh, you know, for the, the preservation of that material. Well, we'd like to know what you think. Are you sitting on a treasure trove of tapes? Have you tried to archive your tapes? Or maybe uh, a station you're, you're involved with is trying to manage uh, an archive of air checks or live performances that might have happened in your studios. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear about it. We're at podcast at radiosurvivor. Dot com. And of course, RadioSurvivor.com is where you can learn much more about everything that we've talked about on today's show. We keep show notes at RadioSurvivor.com slash podcast. And this is episode number 154 to help you find yeah. the show notes. I want to make a plug for the other times we've talked about archives. We might not get every link to every archive-related Radio Survivor. No. that, But uh, we'll get the big ones up there. Yeah, but so- you could also dig through the website. This website... Uh, is deep. It's been on. It's been up for a for, for a number. We're of on nine years. years. Nine and, years. And our fact. podcast is over 150 episodes. And and we care a lot about preserving 
archives. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of material up there. And we'd love it if you could help us out to learn more about how you can help Rayo Survivor keep doing what we do. Go to rayosurvivor.com slash support. And another plug for National Radio Day, August 20th. Do something great around radio. Uh, right. Tag it on uh, social media. Uh, hashtag National Radio Day. Uh, call up your favorite station and tell them you love them. Uh, or maybe your station is planning to do something. Uh, go ahead and tell us about it. Drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Gra- grab a young person and a radio and spin them. <laughs> and spin the dial together and hopefully you'll find something together that's worth listening to in the town where you live. I, I would be surprised if you didn't. But yeah, I would say that I know a lot of young people that have probably never spun a radio dial in their life. Jennifer, are you yeah. going to do anything special for National Radio Day? Uh, well, I will definitely listen to radio. Um, sometimes I will scan through my internet radio to listen to different college stations all over the country. Yeah. So that's a fun thing. I would encourage people to check out high school radio stations. You know, check out a genre of radio that you haven't before. If, you know, maybe you're steeped in radio like we are and try something different. Oh, geez, Jennifer, I'm going to put you on the spot. If a listener just heard you recommend high school radio, how do they find high school radio in the United States? Well, you can just do a web search for high school radio and, um, and find lists out there. There was, there's a national high school radio network, um, where a number of high school stations share programming every Wednesday during the school year. Hmm. So even if you can find that website, you can find a list of stations and that, is a place to start. Yeah, we're asking people from from literally from the grassroots to come up with their own ways to celebrate National Radio Day this year. Yes, we hope you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, tell us, you know, maybe report back. We'd love to yeah. hear what you did if you did something fun. Um, we'd love to feature your voices on Radio Survivor. Uh, once again, our, our email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. It's just Radio Survivor. Super easy to remember jennifer waits thank you very much for bringing us uh this interview with uh dylan flesh at kexp and libby hopoff at the moving image preservation of puget sound project on the uh, pop-up music memory digitization labs happy to yeah and you know anything that will encourage people to preserve their memories and think about music history i'm all for And Eric, thank you for joining us here on this episode. Always a pleasure to nerd out on radio culture in the United States of America and beyond. And thank you, (laughs) every listener, but especially you listening right now. Thank you for spending another hour with us. See you next week. 